Good morning. A special uh, prayer request. Doug and Christina were in a uh, car accident, a multi-car accident. Um, let's lift up uh, Nadine T. and Catherine A. Catherine is pregnant, so we want to pray for no injuries to the baby and uh, quick healing for all involved in this accident. Father God, you, you know the exact circumstances, you know the exact injuries, and we ask you to heal each one. We ask that you reveal your glory in the healing of these people, body, soul, and spirit. You are the great God. Nothing is beyond you. We beseech you, Lord, on the behalf of all involved, and especially our Doug and Christina. We ask it, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. This is the first Sunday in Lent. The Lenten season prepares our hearts for Passover. I never substitute the word Easter for Passover. And I'm still a little miffed some 400 years later that the King James translators thought it was a good idea to substitute the word Easter for Passover. Nonetheless, these two are not the same. Easter is chocolate bunny rabbits and colored eggs, which is the celebration of an ancient pagan feast. should not be confused with Passover. Passover is the holy observance of the sacrifice of the Son of God for the atonement of the sins of mankind. These two are not the same. But I will concede that a rose by any other name is still a rose. And the rose of this season is Jesus Christ, the rose of Sharon, or in Hebrew, the rose of Sharon. Slide one, please. Our scripture reading for this first Sunday in Lent is Romans 5, 1 and 2. It's at the top of your bulletin. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. That Greek word glory is doxa. And it means preeminence. How many of you remember the definition of preeminence? The fact of surpassing all others. In this first week of Lent, I want us to focus on these verses. Read them every day and meditate on them. And note that verse 2 is not future tense. It's present tense. We share God's glory presently every day of our regenerated lives. The glory of God's Spirit indwells our hearts. Therefore, we have the option 
to let that light shine for all to see or hide it because we feel shame for how poorly we represent that light. But Christ died so that we can live in glory, not shame. So shine on, people, shine on. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the great privilege to feast on your word. Lord Jesus, we bless your name that you are the bread of life. You are our good shepherd. Father, in this season, lead on. We are your sheep and we will follow. So please, blessed Savior, lead on and speak to us this morning your words of truth. Enliven our hearts to your grace and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Title of my sermon this morning is Enlightenment. For you ladies studying the book of Hebrews, we'll do a little dissertation this morning. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 through 12. Slide 2, please. For it is impossible to bring back to repentance those who were once enlightened those who have experienced the good things of heaven and shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the power of the age to come, and who then turn away from God, it is impossible to bring such people back to repentance. By rejecting the Son of God, they themselves are nailing him to the cross once again, and holding him up to public shame. To quote John MacArthur, this passage in Hebrews makes no reference to salvation. There is no mention of justification, sanctification, new birth, or regeneration. Those who have been enlightened are not spoke of as born again or righteous. No terminology for salvation is used. In fact, no term used here is ever used elsewhere in the New Testament for salvation. The enlightenment spoken of here has to do with intellectual perception of biblical truth. The Greek word used here is photizo, which means to give light by knowledge or teaching. End quote. Now, if you know anything about John MacArthur, you know he's a dyed-in-the-wool Calvinist. You might wonder if he's trying to make a case here for once saved, always saved, or as the Baptists call it, eternal security. But what MacArthur is pointing out here is the core truth of the gospel, which is this, just because you can see the light doesn't mean you've made a commitment to walk in it. Just because you've learned a few things about God and His forgiveness doesn't mean you're living a life of repentance. There was a sappy 70s movie you might recall. Love means never having to say you're sorry. How completely stupid. When you love someone, you must say, I'm sorry. Repentance is an apology to God 
and then you allow him to change your heart and change your thinking. This is repentance. Why did God say King David was a man after his own heart? Nowhere else in Scripture does God say anyone had a heart like his. But he said this of King David. Why? Read the Psalms and you'll find David to be a man of repentance. Slide three. Romans 10, 9 through 11. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. When's the last time you openly declared your faith? Verse 11. Anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Not in this life, not in the next. You must trust in Jesus to be saved. If you don't trust him, you won't declare him. Jesus is not a lucky charm. He's not a rabbit's foot you carry on your keychain. You don't wish for Jesus to help you. You trust Jesus to help you. You don't hope he will help you. You must know he will help you. When you truly trust he will help you, we call this faith. And he will give you this faith if you ask. Slide four. Isaiah 28. I will test you with the measuring line of justice and the plumb line of righteousness. Since your refuge is made of lies, a hailstorm will knock it down. Since it is made of deception, a flood will sweep it away. I will cancel the bargain you made to cheat death, and I will overturn your deal to dodge the grave. The context of this verse is that Jesus is not only the cornerstone of our salvation, he is the cornerstone of our life. And if you discount that grace as just some old truism or some old wives' tale, you will not cheat death. In fact, you'll die twice. Your body will die once and your soul will die. Commitment is the difference between a born-again Christian and a pretend Christian. One is saved to the uttermost and the other is not. You won't find any pretend Christians in heaven. But you can become a masterful pretender and never become a true follower of Jesus Christ. One takes up his cross daily. The other wants nothing to do with suffering. St. James says, don't be just hearers of the word. Be doers of the word. Slide five. Hebrews 6, when the ground soaks up the falling rain and bears a good crop for the farmer, it has God's blessing. 
But a field bears thorns and thistles, it is useless. The farmer will soon condemn that field and burn it. Dear friends, even though we are talking this way, we really don't believe it applies to you. We are confident that you are meant for the better things, the things that come with salvation. Slide six. And what are those things? Galatians 5. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Slide 7. Hebrews 6, 10 through 12. For God is not unjust. He will not forget how hard you have worked for him and how you have shown your love to him by caring for other believers, as you still do. Our great desire is that you will keep on loving others as long as life lasts in order to make certain that what you hope for will come true. There's a promise there then you will not become spiritually dull and indifferent. Instead, you will follow the example of those who are going to inherit God's promises because of their faith and endurance. Your hopes and dreams come true when you love others. The second great commandment. Chuck Swindoll. My view is that these verses in Hebrews 6 do not address salvation, although they do address believers. They refer to carnal Christians. The actual peril in view is that of a person who has partaken of the Holy Spirit and tasted the goodness of God's word and then fallen away becoming a shipwreck or a castaway. If such a person goes far enough into the depths of a carnal lifestyle, they can ultimately come to a place where God does not permit repentance, and their life will bear only worthless fruit. The person will remain saved, but their rotten and useless works will be burned up. End quote. In other words, these carnal Christians will stand before the judgment seat of Christ and they will be empty-handed. They will have accomplished nothing for the kingdom of God. So now I've presented to you two distinctly different interpretations of this passage in Hebrews 6. One is that of John MacArthur, a well-known Calvinist who believes that if you fall away from the goodness of God, you were never saved. You are never a real Christian. Chuck Swindoll, on the other hand, is about as far from hyper-Calvinism as you can get. And he believes this passage is just talking about carnal Christians who will make it into heaven by the skin of their teeth, having done nothing for the kingdom of God. So you decide which is correct. One thing is for certain. 
you want to be very sure this passage in Hebrews 6 does not apply to you. Which begs the question, can a real Christian, a born-again Christian, lose their salvation? Slide 8. John 10, 27. My sheep, these are the words of Jesus, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one can snatch them away from me. For my Father has given them to me and he is more powerful than anyone. No one can snatch them from the Father's hand. The Father and I are one. Do you listen to Jesus? Can you hear his voice? If you hear his voice, do you do what he says? Do you follow him? For it is impossible to bring back to repentance those who were once enlightened, those who have experienced the good things of heaven and shared in the Holy Spirit who have tasted goodness of the word of God and the power of the age to come, and who then turn away from God. It is impossible to bring such people back to repentance. You see, repentance is the door to salvation. Real Christians open that door, and then they enter into the kingdom of heaven, and they live there. They make the kingdom of God their home. Pretenders never even open the door. They develop a dialogue of Christianese. And they would have you believe they're true followers of Jesus. Enlightenment is not a synonym for salvation. To taste of the good things of God does not mean you truly believe. To have experienced the good things of God does not guarantee salvation. The children of Israel crossed through the Red Sea, saw Egypt's chariots swallowed up in the receding waters, ate of the heavenly manna, saw the pillar of fire by night and the pillar of cloud by day, and still perished in the wilderness, died in their sin because they refused to obey. They believed God was real because they saw his miracles, but they refused to follow. And that's why they spent 40 years going around in circles and then died in their sins. To die in your sins means you were not and an unrepentant heart will make its final resting place in the eternal darkness of hell. But if you're a born-again Christian, you cannot die in your sins because your sins have been forgiven, past, present, and future. All forgiven. Slide 9. Matthew 13. Listen, the words of Jesus. Listen, a farmer went out to plant some seeds, and as he scattered them across the field, some seeds fell on a footpath, and the birds came and ate them. 
Other seeds fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. The seed sprouted up quickly because the soil was shallow. But the plant soon withered under the hot sun. And since they didn't have deep roots, they died. Carnal Christians. Verse 4, the birds that ate the seeds. Who are the birds? They are Satan devouring the seeds of the gospel before they can take root in a person's soul. The seeds that fell on the footpath represents the church. Specifically, professing Christians who have refused to mix the truth of the gospel with faith. In other words, these people have an ideology they call faith. They acknowledge Jesus and his gospel as truth, but they don't let it take root in their heart. These people approach Christianity as though it were a lodge or a club or a fraternity. They help others, but only to make themselves look good and ease their conscience. If they go to church, they view it as a social club. They have a credo, but no real faith. Jesus does not own their heart, nor do they allow him to direct their path. A committed Christian tends the garden of his soul. They water and cultivate it with God's word. They spend time basking in the sunshine of God's presence. Slide 10. Other seeds fell among thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants. Still other seeds fell on fertile soil, and they produced a crop that was 30, 60, and even 100 times as much as had been planted. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. To those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given and they will have an abundance of knowledge. But for those who are not listening, even what little understanding they have will be taken away from them. In other words, listen or perish. Verse 7. Other seeds fell among the thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plant. J. Vernon McGee. The devil got the folks on the footpath. And fleshly desires got those whose hearts were shallow soil. But the world and its cares choked the life out of those tender plants who allowed thorns to grow in their souls. The Enlightenment, Hebrews 6, is talking about is to comprehend who Jesus is. To taste of his goodness, to feel the warmth of his grace and love. But to taste of God's goodness and feel the warm fuzzies of his grace is not salvation. Salvation is a long obedience in the same direction. In other words, commitment. But what about those great pretenders, those fabulous pretenders, those TV preachers 
who try to peddle Jesus like he's the great food bank in the sky where everything is free. Just walk in and take what you need from the great food bank in the sky. Joel Osteen Ministries brings in $43 million a year. He is better known worldwide than any other present-day preacher, including Franklin Graham. When you preach what people with itching ears want to hear, you can be wildly successful. Kenneth Copeland's worth $750 million dollars. You can become very wealthy preaching a false gospel. 2 Timothy 3.16 All scripture is inspired and profitable for doctrine, reproof, and correction. How many times has Joel Osteen been rebuked and reproved by his peers and he still refuses to repent and preach the truth? Slide 11. From the message. Be wary of false preachers who smile a lot, dripping with practice sincerity. Chances are they are out to rip you off in some way or other. Don't be impressed with charisma. Look for character. Who preachers are is the main thing, not what they say. A genuine leader will never exploit your emotions or your pocketbook. What is required is serious obedience. Doing what my father wills. And I can see it now. At the final judgment, thousands strutting up to me and saying, Master, Master, we preached the message. We bashed the demons. Our super spiritual projects had everyone talking. And do you know what I'm going to say? All you did was use me to make yourselves important. The King James says, depart from me, I never knew you. The great falling away St. Paul speaks about in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 is the apostate church. And who is the apostate church? Those who do not preach sin. Those who do not preach repentance. They don't preach hell. They don't preach Christ's atonement. And like the current Pope, they say, just be a good person. Apostasy is denying the truth of God's word and turning that truth into a lie. Believe what you wish about Joel Osteen but he does not preach the truth of the gospel. The gospel plus positive thinking or self-help is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. There are no adjectives in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It needs no modifying. And remember what Grandpa told you. A half-truth is a whole lie. Chuck Swindoll. Jesus doesn't tinker with our lives. He doesn't suggest a minor moral tune-up. He says that we need a complete overhaul. 
He says we must either declare our absolute allegiance or deliberately decide not to follow him. There's no middle ground. He puts these either or decisions in front of us and we must decide to be with him or against him. End quote. Revelation 3.16 But since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Jesus wants an all or nothing commitment from us. And when you give him your all, you get the deal of the century. You get his all. You get the cosmos-making, sin-breaking power of Almighty God. And all you have to do is say, yes. Yes, Lord, my heart is yours. Totally yours. I want to close this morning by reading our Lenten verse again, but this time from the message translation. It will sound a little different than the King James or ESV because the emphasis is on context. Slide 12. Romans 5, 1 and 2 from the message. By entering through faith into what God has always wanted to do for us, which is to set us right with him and make us fit for him, we have it all together with God because of our master Jesus. And that's not all. We throw open our doors to God and discover at the same moment that he has already thrown open his door to us. We find ourselves standing where we always hoped we might stand, out in the wide open spaces of God's grace and glory, standing tall and shouting our praise. Can I hear an amen? If your heart is not filled with the love of Christ this morning, but instead filled with disappointment, hurt, or bitterness, you haven't opened the door of your heart to what we call salvation. Either that or you haven't opened it wide enough to see the beauty of Christ and his goodness. Jesus is knocking at the door of your heart. Invite him in. And then tell him to make himself at home forever. If you'll stand with me, I want us to recite a prayer of repentance together. As I've been telling you for the past several months, the Christian life is a life of repentance. This is a prayer we need to pray every day. Repeat after me. Father God, I know I'm a sinner. I know I have fallen short of your glory. Short of your commandments. Short of your plan for my life. Please forgive all my sins. Whether intentional or by omission. 
Sins I have committed in thought, word, or deed. Sins I have committed in thought, word, or deed. Lord Jesus, I now declare that you are Lord of my life. Come into my heart and change it. Make it like yours. Please forgive my indifference to you. My indifference to your word and your truth. Keep me safe from myself and the devil. Replace my despair with your comfort. My fears with your courage. And the heartache of my mistakes with your peace. In Jesus' name. Amen. Blessings to you all.